If you know one thing about me by now, you know I'm a bit of a radio geek. And that's why when I was given the opportunity to talk to George Butler, I said yes. Hello, I'm James, James Erskine, and I'm the presenter of Rocket Fuel. And in this episode, we're talking to George. George is a breakfast show presenter on Fun Kids Radio. And he also has the title of Head of Commercial Marketing at Bauer. So, George and I have a really good conversation. We find out about his journey, his background and his dual roles. We find out about his work. We find out about his rocket fuel. And during the next half an hour or so, we get to know George Butler pretty well. If you think anybody could benefit from this, then do share it with them. But sit back. Uh, if you're on the commute, listen up. Uh, if you're at home, then enjoy. Because this is George Butler's Rocket Fuel. So, George Butler, thank you so much for being this week's guest on Rocket Fuel. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you for having me on. It's 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 great to be here and uh, great to have a chat. Looking forward to it. Um, for the purposes of this uh, podcast interview, you're like a superhero. You've got an amazing double life. We're going to talk to you about working on Fun Kids as a presenter. We're going to talk to you about your role at Bauer and also probably a little bit touch on your previous role at the Radio Centre. I've, I've brought to life a little bit of what you do. Sounds like the what? world's lamest superhero, though. Yes, yes. maybe. <laughs> maybe. But it's Sounds, it sounds quite exciting for the purposes of our <laughs> listeners, I'm sure. Um, why don't you tell us about your journey? How have you got to where you are at now? Well, I, I, I kind of have had a, a bit of an obsession with, with media from quite an early age. I mean, especially radio. I've been very lucky to... To be, to be working in radio and audio and, and podcasts. And it's, it's an area I have loved for a long, long time. I mean, growing up, I, you know, I was, I was obsessed with, with, with listening to, you know, Chris Moyles on the radio and lots of other brilliant presenters. And I did my first ever radio show when I was 14 years old wow. um, with a couple of friends. We, we did that for, you know, the, the, a few years um, in a, our local radio station, which was great. And we did, we, 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 we did it up until we kind of left school to go to university and I, I went to, to Nottingham. And when we got there, we found out there was this brilliant student radio station. So yeah. um, had my kind of my time at Nottingham, um, you know, enhanced by three amazing years at the at URN, which is the University Radio Nottingham. And there, I mean, that was just like the most amazing experience. And I kind of think you know, anybody that is at university, um, I don't have much advice to give to them, but if I ever do speak to any kind of 18 year olds, 19 year olds heading to uni, the, the, the only thing I ever kind of would dare advise on is, is say, don't just do your degree, go and, you know, if you're interested in something, go and get involved in it. You know, if it's yeah. writing, get involved in your student magazine, if it's TV, your student TV station, whatever that might be, because that was an amazing training ground um, for me for three years, both in terms of presenting and, you know, being awful 
occasionally being good, mainly being bad and making mistakes and learning what kind of was funny or what, you know, all of that kind of stuff, learning how the the mics work, the faders work. Uh, But equally um, in my third year, you know, I was very involved in running the, running the station and just from a kind of a, a media land side of things, it was a great introduction in terms of, you know, how to operate with, with businesses and stakeholders and how to engage the community. So that was a, an amazing um, kind of introduction to the world of media for me and, and uh, something I am forever grateful to be involved in. So, yeah, that's kind of how I got involved in, in, in radio and audio and media, really. And what does your role involve now? Your breakfast presenter on Fun Kids, is that right? Yeah, I mean, I I have two jobs. I'm lucky because I've got two jobs and I love them both very, very dearly. I've got uh, the Fun Kids role, as you mentioned. So I am the, the breakfast show presenter on Fun Kids, which if you didn't know is the UK's kind of national radio station for families and kids. Um, we're very targeted at um, probably under 14s um, and obviously parents and siblings who come along for the ride. Um, and we provide quite a unique service which isn't really uh, available anywhere in both commercial audio but also um bbc as well and uh, we've got a, a lovely really loyal um niche but large niche audience so we broadcast across the uk and we've got lots of podcasts and a kind of a, a big network of of youth audio um mm. and i also um I also work for for Bauer Media. I run the commercial marketing there. Um, and obviously that is a kind of a very much on a national level looking after, you know, working with amazing um, brands from, you know, Magic and Kiss and Absolute, uh, equally in the publishing side of the world, Grazia and Heat, TV Choice, all of that, you know, all of them, yeah. many, many other uh, brands. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm lucky because they're both very different, uh, both very different roles. Um, that I enjoy them both immensely. And whether formally or informally, have you a mentor of, of any description? Have you had various mentors oh, at uh, yeah. different stages of your career? Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. I've been kind of lucky to have, I mean, mainly they've been people I've worked with. I've been really lucky to work with uh, some some brilliant people kind of going back to um, you mentioned it. I used to work for a radio center who sit in the middle of the commercial radio industry and they look after, um, you know, the, the, the world of commercial audio and they represent all the, you know, the, the likes of Bauer and global. And, um, it's an, it was an amazing place to be in the middle of the industry. Um, both audio, advertising, and media, and kind of get, yeah. uh, get to kind of work across the spectrum of, of the audio media landscape. Um, it was a brilliant organization and there was some, and still are some brilliant people there. So that was kind of my first role in audio. And I was there for quite a while and I worked with some amazing people um, to name a few. The uh, Siobhan Kenny, who used to run radio center was a brilliant, um, uh, a, a brilliant leader, but she had a fascinating career because she used to um, run comms in the government. So we kind mm. of, you know, there was a lot to learn from her. Uh, my former boss was a, a lady called Lucy Barrett, who was a brilliant uh, former journalist and comms person. Um, so plenty of lessons about the world of advertising from Lucy. I mean, there were I could list people at that business who who were absolutely amazing, um, and it's quite a unique business, quite a unique organisation. Because whilst there aren't loads of people there, they play a really important role in the industry and a really and have a kind of a really meaningful uh, output. So um, it's small but with significant um, reach and significant importance. So 
there was a lot to be learned from a lot of brilliant people. So I guess, you know, early on in my career, um, the team at Radio Center, I've got a lot, lot to be thankful for. And um, equally at, at Fun Kids, I've been uh, presenting at Fun Kids now probably for... I mean, over six years. Um, wow. And yeah, it's been, it, I kind of started, um, I got brought in by Matt Deegan, who runs the station. He runs a lot of, um, a lot of events in, in the podcast world, like the, the, uh, the podcast awards. on this podcast. Uh, yeah, I know. I, I'm listening. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, he, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a really, you know, great um, and very well-respected person in the industry. And yeah. uh, from the radio side of things, he brought me in quite young without loads of experience and gave me the chance to kind of cover shows and do weekend shows and do holiday shows and kind of uh, uh, a year and a half ago gave me the chance to do the breakfast show. So um, yeah, he's been, he's been somebody that's been very involved in my kind of presenting career. Uh, so yeah, I mean, right. I could list so many people. I've been very, very lucky to work with some amazingly talented people so far. And are you any good at switching off? I mean, if you've got two jobs, I'm amazing those... at switching off. Are you really? So how do how do you do it? Do you not check your emails I, on holiday? Um, I think we all have that thing when we go on holiday, though, don't we? Where that the first couple of days you're there, like oh, I, oh, this there's this email that's going, and then you get to about day three or day four, and you're like, no, and yes, to... you know what? I do think though. I think that I probably used to be worse at it, um, and. I, I think, it, and this is a super obvious thing to say, but I think by having, if you're going away for a week, by actually switching off for a week, you're then significantly better at what you do once you return. So I've got that, I, that's my kind of mindset is that uh, in order to be better at what I do, you kind of need that time in order to actually reset yourself a little bit. Yeah. So I've, I've, I probably used to be quite annoying where, where you know, I would reply to people's emails and stuff and everyone at work would be like, what are you doing? But I, I'm, I'm much better now at kind of, yeah, allowing myself to switch off. I think in terms of like the the day to day and the week to week, I mean, I get to kind of just multitask with 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 the two different roles. So it's just all about being organised and kind of getting recording done at the right time and and doing the shows at the right time. And and that's kind of very much fit around my, you know, my, the working at, at Bow, which is definitely my kind of my main uh, role. Um, so yeah, as long I I think as long as I kind of keep to a structure and keep organized, then when it's time to kind of switch off, then I think it's important, right? It's important. Uh, I'd agree. Um, whilst we're getting to know you, I'm I'm a huge radio geek as well. I started my life in uh, student radio and in radio programming. Which, so, student, which student station did you start at? So I was at Shout FM at Liverpool, John Moores, and then Amazing. we... And then I moved to what was then Crash FM in Liverpool. So it became known as Juice Radio. Um, ah, and yes. it was a great station. So that's where I cut my teeth initially on the programming side, then on the commercial side. So that was my background. Um, you mentioned you were inspired by Chris Moyles earlier. I just wondered what what's your thoughts on the work that Chris Moyles is doing now at Radio X? Do you get to live Listen, is it something that's that you, well, you still think is good? I know it's not about a station, so well, no, no, yeah. But I mean, I, I'm more, more than happy to talk about you know Chris Morris. I mean, he was a he was someone that really really inspired me growing up. I mean, that radio on breakfast show. I mean, um, there was like 10 million people listening to it. It was a juggernaut. I don't think there's um, you know there's been very few shows like that, with the exception probably of the Radio Two Breakfast Show and of and um, Ken Bruce and. Uh, what's now Vernon Kay's show um, in terms yeah. of reaching that many people, but the way that he did it, the way his, it was so unique. The start of that show, it was so, um, I know, I know he probably kind of lent on some sort of us 
uh, styles of radio, but it was so different. And being young and listening to radio, well, I would get up. I would get up extra early. I would get up at half six just to listen to that show. I was such a fan and I was uh, kind of so in awe of what he did. Um, so I think, uh, you know, obviously he, leaving Radio 1, and moving to Radio X, it's a completely different kind of show, a very different audience, yeah. obviously a very different scale in terms of how many people listen. Um, and I, I actually started listening to that show a lot more during the the, the pandemic. Okay. Um, and it, it kind of occurred to me, I mean, this is such an obvious thing to say, but it kind of occurred to me what a master broadcaster he is because he was just so amazing at hitting the right tone in a really challenging time where kind of everybody was in a different place and it was very hard to kind of speak to, you know, in radio, you say you're speaking to a person, but actually it was so difficult to speak to a person in that time because one person was doing really love, you know, really well and enjoying themselves. And one person yeah. was having the hardest time ever. Um, and he just created this show, which just fit that time so amazingly. Um, and it just, you know, it made me, you know, slightly fall in love with, with, with him again as an amazing broadcaster. Um, yeah, I mean, I just think he's he's incredible. I think there's, I mean, there's loads of amazing, talented radio presenters, and he's right up there as as some of the best. So, nice. yeah, I, I think what he does at, at X is is also very impressive because it's it's such a different audience and such a different um, uh, kind of show to what he was doing at Radio One. And I think you know he, he sort of seamlessly moved into it. And 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 you know what, fair massive massively you know you have to massively credit him because he's he, it's quite rare that you get a big signing in radio come in. Um, and then grow their audience. Yes. And, and he's done that, uh, you know, over the last two or three years, really impressively. So, yeah, yeah. I'd agree. Yeah. Um, in terms of people that you surround yourself with in the workplace, what are the qualities that you look for in colleagues? Well, I have to say I am really lucky. Um, I work with some amazing people. Um, at, at Bauer, we've got the... Uh, really brilliant team uh, especially in our in our marketing world um and i think the reason that they're it's a brilliant team is a yes they're very intelligent and kind of dedicated uh, individuals and they're passionate about what they do but also i think um it's so important to have a really positive atmosphere a positive kind of culture in an environment where everybody wants to be there um and i think there's there's elements of kind of you know uh ensuring that everybody gets on and yeah. um and that's not to say everyone has to be best friends but that everybody feels they're in an environment where they're they're coming to work but they're coming to also um feel kind of uh, you know safe and feel settled and feel happy and and i think um that's a i think that's very important and i think especially when you're in a world which like we we are in media and advertising which is has creativity creativity at, at its heart i think that is a really important um culture to foster um and i think it brings the the best out of people and i think you know um people want to want want to be coming into the office people want to be um doing what they do people want to be delivering um because they're they're in a team that that they feel a part of. So there, I think that's a massive quality, which I, re, which I kind of put right up there with, you know, um, with, with, you know, many more of the kind of the traditional qualities yes. that you might look for in, in, in colleagues and employees. And, and finally for this section, professionally, what do you think you're known for? Are there, are there any qualities? Are there any particular things? What would, what would people say about you behind your back? Oh, 
that guy is annoying, isn't he? He just doesn't, he doesn't stop talking. He doesn't stop. <laughs> now, I am, I, I th- that's a really difficult question. And it's quite hard to answer that without sounding like a bit of an ego, isn't it? Um, but I, I, I would probably say um, purely for kind of purely in a public facing way that I've been really fortunate to have done some interesting um, conference sessions on stage. And I think some people may have, you know, been to, been to conferences and seen me kind of interview people or see me kind of present. And I think that's probably something which gets a bit more um, public recognition, you know, from, from an industry point of view, uh, whether they, whether they think I'm any good at it, I have absolutely no idea, but uh, I'm there, I'm there regardless. I'm still here with George. We're going to talk about... Sorry about work. that. Oh, that's all right. Can't that's get rid of me that easily. <laughs> um, George, bring to life, first of all, Fun Kids. You've already described what it is for the benefit of our listeners. How long has Fun Kids been going? What job does it do in the lives of the people that listen to it? So in terms of the job it does for our listeners, I'm going to give it to you from two perspectives. The first one, which is the super obvious one, is from a 12-year-old or a 13-year-old who um, wants to listen to the type of music that they actually like. Um, and probably Radio One's a little bit too old for them. Um, and, you know, like Capital might play a lot more kind of hip-hop stuff, and that's not what they want to hear. You know, they're 11, they're 10, they're, they're whatever, and they want to hear um, Justin Bieber and Ed Sheeran and the new Dua Lipa song, and occasionally their, fav- their favourite track from Frozen. Um, they want it... They want to be hearing from presenters who understand what is going on in their lives, um, both kind of from the perspective that they're on school or in their on holidays or um, there's this new TV show or film that they're watching. Um, and equally um, that they're being spoken to at the, the level that they feel comfortable at with lots of excitement and fun and, and the humor at their level. Um, and it's something that is made for them. It feels like it's for them and they're not kind of just there because it's their, you know, their parent station or their older sister likes it. So yeah. that's one half of it. And then there's mum and dad. And mum and dad can know that if fun kids is on on the way to school, if fun kids is on in the kitchen whilst everyone's having breakfast or dinner, that it's a safe space that it's content that is appropriate, um, that there isn't going to be music which doesn't fit what they would like their 12-year-old to be hearing. So yeah. it's kind of it's kind of two things in equal measure. Um, um, but, you know, hopefully from in, in that first point of view, it's fun, it's funny, it's, you know, the right amount of chaos and it's the music they want to hear. That's it, ultimately. Um, and you're a presenter on the station. How do you talk to children? What is the art? Is it I, any different? You see, I don't think it, to my, my the, the point of view I take and the the way that I go about doing it is I don't talk to our listeners any differently as to the way I would talk to you. Okay. The thing that might change is what I talk about. Okay. So you, the one thing you would never hear if you put on my show is hello, oh how are you doing? Lovely to yeah. hear. Lovely for you to join us. We've got some frozen. You'll never hear that. I will speak like I speak to any adult um, and I will bring the same kind of humour. Like I'm not changing myself massively. Um, I'll bring a kind of the same sort of humour that I would bring. Um, What will change is what I talk about. So that humour might be about something that's happening in the school holidays or it might be about a big new um, Trolls film. You know, uh, it's just... The, the the con the context of of what we're talking about changes, but the the delivery doesn't, in my opinion. 
Okay, let me talk about advertising and brand integration on Fun Kids because it's a commercial operation and this is a youth marketing podcast. Have you got to be more subtle? Have you got to be less subtle? How how do brands get involved in the programming on Fun Kids? I'm sure you're going to say it's airtime, sponsorship, promotions, all the things that commercial radio stations do. But is it different? Is there a different sensibility? Yeah, it's definitely different. Um, it's different in the sense that you have to be more careful. Um, and that's mainly on 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 the station because the most important thing is, as I said, is that parents are putting that station on feeling like it's content they're, they're happy for their kids to be listening to. And for the kids' point of view, it's content that they should be hearing. So without a doubt, we've got to be very careful about what we put on the airwaves. Um, and that obviously that stays true for the, the stuff that we're saying, the songs we're playing. Um, so yes, that that is different. And, and equally, I think that advertisers um, are also aware of that. They, they, they are, there's obviously tight regulations and they want to make sure that they are, um, they're being appropriate for the audience. So there is a difference, and I think that difference mainly comes down to an, an extra an extra level of caution. That said, it enables more creativity in in many ways. Yes. So in terms of how it's delivered, it will obviously be there is spot ads. There's less yeah. spot ads, significantly less spot ads than probably any other commercial radio station, unless you're listening to you know Graham Norton's non-sponsored waitress. Um, <laughs> it's it's a lot more. Um, intro content and partnerships. And, you know, those partnerships, as I said, because there's that element of caution, they will always be relevant to the audience and right for the audience. So it might be that there's um, new books coming out. That's a big one for us. And we'll kind of give, we'll do competitions and more prizes and we'll, we'll, we'll talk to the authors. Um, it might be something the government is doing that they want to raise awareness for, you know, for safety over something. Um, but the delivery is different. It can be a little bit more creative, which is nice. Uh, but as I said, I think the first the, the, that first thing, first point of difference is that there is an extra layer of um, sensitivity as to, as to who's advertising and what's being advertised. Before we go global and look at your wide role at Bauer, I want to go quite specific and I want to talk about Kistory, which mm-hmm. I know might seem strange, but I just think it's an incredible success Amazing. story. For the for the benefit of our listeners, bring to life Kistory and why sure. somebody like me is going on about it as being so successful. So KISS as a station and as a brand has been obviously a long-running um youth audio um brand. And you know, Kiss is a very uh, has a has a, a huge following. Um, it's very youth focused. Um, presenters on the station include Tyler West and um, uh, Jordan and Perry from Diversity. So there's some amazing um, presenters attached to it, and it's you know playing the biggest new songs from Dave and Central C and Dua Lipa. But Kissery started as. I guess a spin-off station, you could call it a, a, yeah. a spin-off station from a feature, which was in kiss where it kind of played the biggest throwback kits. And it was then uh, created as a digital radio station to sit alongside kiss. Um, and the growth in audience has been pretty staggering. And it really probably has been one of the major inspirations for what we now see in the sector with the abundance of, of, of kind of spin-off stations that we have. Uh, but, 
history plays basically all or it, it's it's the similar genre of music in that it's 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 kind of dance and r&b and hip-hop and like the cooler side of pop but it's from a but it's not brand new music. It's it's the throwback hits. It's the club anthems. It's the it's like your Craig Davids. Or, and yeah. there's just the biggest audience for it. It has seen phenomenal growth. It is the biggest commercial digital radio station. Mm. And there is just this massively passionate following. Um, so it's kind of one of the the jewels at, at the at the kind of the center of the of the Kiss brand, really. And has Kiss itself suffered as a result? Do you, once you get older, do you go from Kiss to Kiss Tree, or is it not that simple? I don't think it's that simple, but at the same time, there is elements of that. Um, but I don't think Kiss has suffered because of that, because okay. Kiss is a youth radio station. And if you are, you know, I don't, some 40 year olds love listening to Kiss. And yes. um, some 40 year olds want to hear the songs that they danced to when they were 25. Yeah. And would leave, uh, you know, and, and aren't interested in what Kiss, Kiss has to offer. So Kistery is there for them. Um, and I think that they, the audience is, there is a massive crossover you know, between Kiss and Kistery, that's for sure. But equally, they complement each other really nicely and, and the audience types complement each other. And as I said, rather than someone leaving Kiss because they feel like maybe it's not for them anymore and jumping over to Radio 2 or um, or, yeah. or, an, or alike, Kistery is there for them. And it's still delivering their type of music just from their era. What more broadly than a Bauer doing to engage young audiences? What are the innovative things that are happening out there that perhaps our listeners might not know about? So, I mean, you know, young audiences and radio is that is the topic that people will, you know, never stop talking about. And, mm. and the, the, you know, it, like with all traditional media, obviously there's challenges to engage younger audiences. Um, but our, our kind of stats are huge in terms of how many uh, young people we reach every single week with radio. Um, but it is about going beyond what is traditional radio. And when we talk about radio, um, about, we're not talking about the box anymore. We're not talking about the thing that's in the kitchen. Yeah, it's 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 a, it's a multi-platform um medium so you know that is smart speakers it's apps it is listening obviously by digital devices and um it's also about events and it's about social media and that's something that kiss for example does amazingly well so you know mm. tiktok um you know kiss is a huge huge tiktok following very very big across social media really engaging with audiences in a different way and actually some of the presenters that they bring on to kiss kind of come from a background which is more uh i guess you could say influencer based yes um so you know elsa witch for example has a massive uh online following and kind of brings that audience with her when her show is on um and as i said i think uh, events is, is a huge huge thing um, it's it's kind of about having a brand which is beyond just a, a radio station. Um, it is the station, it is your social media following, and it is that experiential thing, which is so important to young consumers. Um, so KISS, for example, uh, has the, the their brilliant haunted house party every yeah. Halloween. They've got their fantastic series uh, throughout summer all across the country with the Kistery events that they put on. Uh, yeah. There's Kiss in Ibiza. So there's all of these different events which people um, that, you know, generally speaking, probably listen to the station, but sometimes 
Kiss to them isn't a radio station, it's an event. So yeah. it is about engaging audiences in all the different ways that you can touch them. Okay, that makes sense to me. So confirm a suspicion or dispel a myth for me here, George. Um, do commercial radio people listen to the BBC? And do you think there's stuff that commercial radio can learn from the BBC and vice versa? Um, do we listen to the BBC? Of course we listen to the BBC. We love, you know, like we love the BBC. There are there are um so many amazing stations in 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 across the audio uh environment. And that's why it's really healthy. That's why audiences are staying, because there are brilliant options and your tastes are being met no matter what they are. So whether you're a lover of classical music and you know you've got you've got Scarlet, you've got Classic, you've got BBC Radio 3, you might listen to a bit of both. And um you know, in terms of, uh, I can only speak for myself, but I absolutely listen to the, to, to to all sorts of different radio stations. You know, we don't get me wrong. I, I love listening to Dave Berry in the morning, and I love listening to um, Magic as I eat my lunch. But I also, it's it's also, I think, healthy for um, and and valuable to be hearing what other stations are doing. So um, yeah, definitely. And I think in terms of are there qualities that can be learned? Yeah, absolutely. No, definitely. And I think it I think it works both ways. And obviously you see it with um presenters coming, you know, both to the BBC, but also um over recent years coming the other way. I mean, Ken Bruce obviously moving from the biggest show in Europe to coming yeah. to greatest hits and creating this absolute giant of a uh, radio network reaching millions and millions of people is a lovely example of that so there are plenty of things that that we that we you know that both learn from each other and just as a presenter um you know when i listen to sarah cox or when i listen to um as i said chris Moores, or when i listen to um dave berry like there are so many things that i learn and go oh now that's why that that's why they are at the top of their game because they're doing these little subtle things or even these big things that are just amazing. You can point to Newsbeat. You can point to some of the sexual health initiative, education initiatives that Radio 1 has. Do you think there's any Weathian values that commercial radio has? Do you think um, commercial so radio does good as well as be entertaining? So, so yes, I think the first thing to point out, though, that is, you know, it's obviously to say, but it is the BBC's job to be doing that. Mm. Um, they need to be delivering on um, on their charter, and they and they have to be doing these things that, um, you know, is is part of of the license fee, and 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 obviously that means that there are things that they shouldn't be doing because actually commercial radio look after it, yeah. um, and and there's not a need for them to be doing it. So I think, I think, uh, I mean, you know, in terms of legislation, there is a, there's a, there's a massive difference. And I think it's part of the BBC's role to be doing some of those things. Um, I think commercial radio, that said, commercial radio is, but still plays a really important role, um, you know, be that in local news and keeping people informed and keeping people entertained and happy and providing um, companionship. You know, these are really, really important things that that are proven to make a difference to uh, audiences. And it's the reason that people keep turning to to not just radio, but to commercial radio. Um, and, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I think commercial radio provide something that BBC that the BBC can't do as well. So I think there's a, I think there is a need for both. Um, yes. And I don't think you'll find 
anybody in commercial radio that tells you that there isn't a need for both. Um, I, you know, and if they do, I would love to have a chat with them to, to pick their brains as, as to, as to why uh, that is. Okay. And you used to work at Radio Centre, which I know, and you've already brought it to life. I remember when it was the RAB. Yeah, I remember yeah. I remember some of the work it does. That leads into my next question, which is there much industry-wide collaboration in commercial radio or is everybody desperately territorial and combative? Um, no, there's, I mean, obviously it's a, it's a commercial industry in that people are combative, but actually as an industry, we're really collaborative, especially compared to most. Um, I mean, Radio Centre is an example of that in itself. The fact that um, across the commercial radio industry, people put money into doing something for a collective purpose. That in itself is a great example of collaboration. Um, yeah. But yeah, personally, I've been involved in, 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 in several projects um, especially at my time at Radio Centre, which were hugely collaborative and did some amazing um, good across the industry. And it only happened because everybody bought into it and kind of put aside uh, ego and put aside um, that combative attitude that you touched upon for the greater good. So there's okay. a couple of things that we did at Radio Centre, the Mental Health Minute, the Young Audio Awards. There are a couple of examples of projects that, I, that we worked on where collaboration is right at the heart of it. I'd love to know more about the Young Audio Awards, not least because I'd love to know about the thoughts behind the Young Audio Awards, but also in the way that we are now in kind of as programming is becoming more and more networked and more and more from a, a central base of programming, how do young people get voices on radio and in the audio space? So, yeah, bring that to life for us. So the Young Audio Awards are something that I've, I'm hugely passionate about. I mean, I, I, I kind of have been from the, from, the, from the start of the project when I set them up. Um, and th that is commercial radio and the BBC coming together with two main purposes. One it's to kind of recognize the fact that young people are still really passionate about radio and audio and B it's to help find a pathway into the industry for them because ultimately audio is such a, a people first industry without great people. We don't have very much. So it's so important that we continue to, to, to have a really amazing diverse eclectic talent pool. Um, and we need ways in which to do that. I, I think, you know, there is, probably less opportunities at a local level now, uh, but there are a lot more opportunities that technology provides for people to be able to do things from home at schools and community projects. And uh, the Young Audio Awards is basically about encouraging that. It's about fostering young talent. It's about giving them a bit of a platform and a bit of a taste of the industry so that, you know, they go, actually, this is something achievable for me. This is something that I can do. And it's a sector that I want to be involved in. Um, so we, we started it uh, probably, I'm going to, I'm going to say about six years ago now, it's, we, 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 it's been a long journey. Um, and we've ran several awards, both in person and online. We got hit with like everybody, um, with, with, uh, that was involved in events with, with COVID and adapting yeah. to a live stream and, and that increased our reach to thousands more kids. So it's been a really interesting journey. And ultimately, um, the, the thing that, the thing that I think we 
we always knew going into it was that there are young people engaged in 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 media especially in audio but what was shocking was the the level of quality and the level of passion that all across the the UK um young people have for creating uh, audio okay that's brilliant and that's that's really good to understand i'd love to for you to tell the listeners about the mental health minute as well because i'm aware or i think i'm aware of the job that it did and the collaborative element of it but yeah bring that to life for us tell me tell me how that got started so it's probably the the you know in terms of if you're looking at uh a, a you know the work if i'm looking at the work that i've done it's probably the the thing that i'm saying probably most proud of um we we started it uh, at radio center and we engaged the bbc and commercial radio and we did something that had never been done before we played the same thing on every radio station at the same time and we did it for five years in a row taking a step back and kind of look at why we did it um it it kind of began at a time where there was growing momentum about talking about your mental health and it's obviously an incredibly important national conversation that we have got a lot better at over the last decade um but when this started it was kind of uh, at the beginning of of that kind of wave of actually talking about this really important issue and the one thing that radio and audio is so good at it's so good at connecting with people um on a one-to-one level but equally at a mass scale and that's exactly what we did with the Mental Health Minute. We played the same minute of, of, of audio on every radio station, connecting with the individual, but also connecting with 20 million people at the same time. And we, we, we teamed up with the Royal Family and their charitable foundation. And we brought in some of the world's biggest celebs like Lady Gaga and David Beckham and Dua Lipa. The list really does go on. We had some amazing, amazing people. Um, and we really just encouraged people to talk about their mental health, to look after each other and to kind of stay connected. And it was, you know, always a very subtle message, but at its heart, it was really all about continuing that conversation around mental health. And and I think the thing was, we expected that minute to be quite profound. We expected it to have an impact and, and, and it did. What we probably didn't expect going into it year one and maybe even year two was the impact it had outside of audio. And it kind of just goes to show the power that radio can have in sparking a conversation because the mental health minute got written about i mean literally in every publication across the world it was it was covered on good morning america it was in vogue um it was in the you know the times any publication they wrote about it um the hours of radio content that surrounded it, the expert mental health ambassadors that came on to stations to talk about the issue and 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 in every way it was amplified beyond that minute itself really kind of showed a the power of audio and and the role it can have um but b also what a role it plays in continuing really important conversations and not necessarily always easy conversations. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was a really interesting, difficult, challenging, but rewarding project to be involved in. So I'm still here with George. We're going to conclude with George's rocket fuel, some practical insights, some takeaways for our audience about youth and family audiences. Um, 
George, feel free to answer these questions in any way that you see fit. There's no kind of perfect formula for this and lean on experience or or look at things that you've seen in the big wide world, whichever seems more appropriate. Um, George, what do you know about young and family audiences? What's the one thing you know? Um, I, I, I think in terms of young audiences, I know that they want to be spoken to um like they're adults, I guess, like they're human beings. They don't want to be spoken to like they're 10 year olds and they will switch off and not engage when that's the case. And um, that's not to say that you talk about inappropriate things. We touched upon that earlier, but in order to best communicate, and I think this is, you know, a, something that transcends not just radio, but, you know, all media and, and advertising. It's about speaking to people, speaking to young people in a adult way, because that's what they're interested in. And, and, you know, I think, um, young people always want to slightly punch above where they are. If you're eight, you're always like the coolest kids are the nine and 10 year olds. Right. And yeah. it's like, how can you reach that level? Um, so I think that that's, that's the one thing for me. And I think, uh, from a young audience point of view, I think from a family point of view, it's just about, um, always having that 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 layer of uh being a, a safety net being a trusted friend being uh, a station that um you know families can turn to and put on and feel safe being with us what do you think has changed about young audiences and what do you think is going to change next I mean, young the, the, so much has changed in the media landscape with young audiences over the last I mean probably Actually, I always look at it, and we all, you know, everyone does, but I always look at it from when I was a kid, um, you came home from school and you put on CBBC. And obviously that was different to kind of the generation before because CBBC wasn't a thing, but you came home and you, you put the TV on. Uh, I got up in the morning, I listened to, to Chris Moores, as, as I told you already. And at, at night, at 8 p.m., you know, we'd all stick on EastEnders or whatever was on the telly. Yeah. You fast forward... To, to today and um you can wake up and in seconds yeah you can put your your favorite radio station on on your smart speaker you can also ask that smart speaker to play your favorite music artist you can also look at your phone or your tablet and watch pretty much anything that's ever been existed both on streaming services or on youtube you can play any game that you'd like you can go on every social media and you can find out the answer to any question whilst also chatting to your friends and that's the difference. I think it's, you've gone over the course of 10, 15 years, we've gone from having a limited um, supply, uh, media supply in terms of what can be consumed to having an unlimited media supply. And I don't think probably as a, as a media industry, we've quite caught up to that change yet because it's the most drastic change you could ever possibly have in a, in a, in a land, in a industry landscape. Um, and we probably all, we've, we're figuring it out, but we probably all have a little bit of figuring out to do in terms of how do you reach young audiences when they have everything? So it's a, it's a big question. Nice. Good answer. Um, which brands or organizations do you think get it right and who gets it wrong? You don't have to name and shame, but why why do you think people get it wrong and why why do you think people get it right? I think um I think brands that get it right are delivering what young audiences both want and need. 
And I think there are some, especially some digital platforms that deliver what they want, but also what they shouldn't be getting. You know, I think um, you take a Disney, for example, and what they've done with Disney Plus is great because uh, it's content for young people, but it's also a safe space where if you're a, a parent of a 14-year-old, you can add the, the 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 appropriate levels in there so that, you know, an 18 movie isn't being watched. Yeah, I think there are, you know, you do look at you know YouTube, for example, and don't get me wrong, there's some amazing content on there, but there's everything on there. And it's very, very difficult to stop um, somebody finding what they want to watch or even actually coming across things that they shouldn't be watching that they didn't even want to watch in the first place. And it makes it a very unsafe space. And I personally don't believe um, there is the appropriate level of regulation on some of those online platforms. And I don't know how I'm not, I haven't got the answers as to how you regulate them to a better level, but frankly, a 10 year old with an iPad shouldn't be able to discover some of the things that they do um, and can. So yes. for me, the audio, the, the, the brands that get it right, deliver what they want, but also what they need. You are talking to the father of an 11 year old who last night has his son on his iPads on the uh, sofa next to me. And suddenly I heard a barrage of expletive words coming from a TikTok video that he was watching. So how do you deal with that? You know, what, as, a, as a dad, what do you do? Like how, 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 what, what tactics can you use to, to, to it's stop? It's really awful because you can ban TikTok, but TikTok's available on a web browser, right? Yeah. So you don't even need an account to see some TikTok videos. So, and you can't very well ban the internet. So it's a real, it's a real dilemma. And it's a real thing of how much you should educate a child and how much you should sit down and talk to them. I must confess, I, I tried to be less ignorant than perhaps I was. I watched the documentary on Channel 4 recently about Andrew Tate, and I thought Andrew Tate was a misogynist and somebody that antagonised the mainstream media. I didn't know he was an abuser. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And... And it's so important that parents know that because because that's a, through a microcosm that's that's one bit of the internet that is being exposed to young boys and yeah. it's it's really tough and these are waters that to give myself any kind of you know I'm not a bad dad but nobody's navigated these waters before because nobody has seen these things as as challenges that have to be met. So, yeah. so yeah. I mean, I think the one, the, the one positive step we've taken over probably the last five years is I think there probably was a, a, a period of maybe half a decade. And I probably think parents didn't quite realize what was going on. So I actually think there has been a really dangerous half a decade. And I do now think that yes. most adults understand the issues, how you go about stopping some of the, some of the access is a completely different question, but I think it, it, there is a positive step that has been taken over recent years. I'd agree. I think you're right. 
Um, finally, then, one takeaway for everyone listening, George. It could be because my questions have been rubbish. It could be because you want to underline something that we've spoken about. What's the one takeaway for everyone listening? Um, I think from somebody who ha- who works in, in, in radio, who works in audio, um, and who works with young audiences, um, I think... The, the the big thing I think about the big thing I think about in in everything that I do across the, all the work I do is about connection, and it's about how to connect with people in a relevant, entertaining, entertaining and engaging way. And uh, I, I don't know if it's a useful takeaway, but I, I just think it's always important in every bit of output, especially creative output that we do, that we think about who it's connecting with, how it's connecting, and why it's connecting. Um, and they're they're kind of pillars that are that I take that, that, you know to, to the approach that I have with with all the work that I do really. That's brilliant. Nice note to leave it on, George. Where can people find out more about you if indeed you want them to find out more about you? Well, after this, they they probably heard more than enough. Like they don't need to. They've done. <laughs> they've heard. They've heard it all. Um, if if anyone like would like to fancy listening to to my radio show, it's it's Fun Kids Breakfast um, every morning. Ask your smart speaker or pop it in your car. And if you do, you know, want to chat a bit more about audio and radio and 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 what it can do, both from an advertising point of view, from a media point of view. Always happy to chat about it. Um, you know, we do some really interesting stuff at Bauer as well. So do drop me an email or add me on LinkedIn. And um, yeah, love. I, I absolutely adore talking about about radio audio, talking about young audiences. So it's been a, a real pleasure um, chatting to you, James. Thanks for having me on. No worries. Thanks so much for being this week's guest on Rocket Fuel. So that's it. The end of the episode with George Butler. The end of the series but there might be something coming along soon. The same still applies though. There's a huge back catalogue now of episodes. You could uh, listen to Rory Sutherland. You could listen to former world wrestling entertainment champion, Drew McIntyre. You could listen to the CEO of Snap in the UK. You could listen to any number of our episodes from the last five series. Um, I thought George was great. Do stay on this feed and stay subscribed and recommend Rocket Fuel to anybody that you think would benefit from this series of one-to-one interviews with those affecting youth marketing or youth culture. Um, Stay tuned for more Rocket Fuel and get in touch with us uh, on X, formerly known as Twitter, at WeAreRocketHQ, or you can seek me out directly. I'm at James Erskine, E-R-S-K-I-N-E. Thanks for uh, taking some of your time to listen to us, and we'll see you very soon. This is Rocket Audio.